I was convicted of first-degree murder and felony firearm. I was convicted in October of 2001. My wrongful conviction took place when I was 21 years old. So I was cut off from society at the age of 21 and my exoneration, my release happened when I was 40 years old. So we're talking 20 years. The city that I left behind was not the city that I walked into. For the past few decades, state and local governments throughout the U.S. have paid out a total of $2.9 billion to Americans who are wrongfully convicted of crimes. Of those 727 exonerees who've won settlements, their payouts average out to $318,000 for each year they've served in prison. It's a pain that no one would want to go through in advance and say, hey, I'll give you $10 million if you go do 20 years in prison. No one would take that bet. Thousands of Americans, like Marvin Cotton, have been sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, and they're suing the governments that locked them up, some of them winning tens of millions of dollars. Now those big payouts and improvements in DNA technology have attracted companies offering cash advances to exonerees with the hope of substantial payback, that is, if they win their case. Many of these private firms are backed by venture capitalists and private investors. Exonerees face a myriad of issues when seeking compensation. An uphill civil suit against the government, mounting bills and life expenses, and the toll of re-entry into society. Everything in the system turns very slow. You know, when you're sitting in a prison cell waiting for the courts to respond to your appeal, it's slow. When you're out of the system but still fighting with the system, everything still moves slow. This investment is an attractive lifeline for many who, despite their freedom, are short on chances. Thousands of people have been exonerated from their wrongful convictions, yet only a small fraction are eligible to sue for compensation and even fewer win the headline-making million-dollar awards. After years of being locked up, re-entry into society comes at a high price. You're basically there with nothing. You have potentially no housing, health care, mental health services, vocational training, employment. Even a, a, an ID card you don't have. If you've been in for a while, you may never have used a cell phone. You don't know what a debit card is. I mean, it's unimaginable really to consider what someone's life is after having been inside for a long time and then out they go as an innocent person. During that 20 years, I've lost family members, friends to death. You never get the opportunity to grieve. You never get the opportunity to say goodbye. To the new family members that's being born into my family, you never get the opportunity to say hello. So you have relationships that are never established and relationships that you never get closure to. You can't get those things back. You can't get goodbyes back. You can't get hellos back. There are a few ways exonerees can seek compensation through federal statutes, state statutes, or in a civil suit. There are 38 states in the District of Columbia that have a state statute that permits somebody to seek compensation either through a lawsuit or through an administrative procedure. So with respect to the other 12 states, the only way to get compensated is through a civil rights case, if you have one. For those exonerees who can prove their innocence, the state and federal process is pretty straightforward. 
Some states and cities now have funds set aside to settle wrongful conviction cases. However, some exonerees want higher payouts for their time spent incarcerated. Those kind of civil suits have a stronger burden of proof and higher costs associated with the court process. What you have to prove is that what caused that was a particular kind of official misconduct. You have to show that a police officer hid evidence or manufactured evidence or coerced a confession or did something like that. It's at this inflection point that exonerees or their attorneys reach out to litigation firms for funding. Although the terminology around the funding is used interchangeably, there's a key difference between a litigation loan and a cash advance. First, there, there's no credit checks, there's no um, collaterals, there's no guarantees, there's no assets, and, and it's also a advance that it's legally defined as non-recourse, which means the only way that we can collect our investment is if the claim actually succeeds and if there's profits available to pay us back. Conversely, let's say that claim is not successful or it's successful, but it recovers significantly below than what everybody expected that it was going to recover. We just don't get paid back. Abraham works for Tribeca Law, a litigation firm that has funded many high profile cases over the years. In this type of funding, the money given to the exoneree is called the principal. If a case is won, this amount is normally the minimum to be paid back. Interest or rates of return are applied to the principal amount, which have a wide range depending on the firm and case. Some exonerees have quoted rates over 30%, which over a few years can double the amount to pay back. A litigation loan differs from a cash advance because the loan would require repayment regardless of the outcome of the case. What we've seen in, the, in connection with litigation loans uh, are a number of problems. There are companies that are a little too aggressive with clients. There are companies that don't offer what is the market rate for this kind of loan. And too many times, uh, exonerees are not aware of their options in structuring their loans to take the money over time, which can help them reduce their interest burden. After being wrongfully incarcerated for years and then having to reprove your innocence, that trauma places an extreme mental toll on exonerees, who oftentimes are fighting in these civil suits for years. It's a perfect recipe for a predatory lender to take advantage of them at this time of vulnerability. Michigan is a gold mine for litigation funds looking to cash in. The state has one of the highest number of exonerations from wrongful convictions. Michigan has shelled out over 22 million since it established its own wrongful conviction compensation law in 2016. Marvin Cotton, who was exonerated in 2020, is one of several exonerees hoping to be compensated by the state. I walked out of prison with nothing. So that makes for an even more difficult transition on top of the trauma from spending 20 years in prison for something I didn't do. Marvin was able to prove his innocence with the help of the state's Conviction Integrity Unit, which works under the DA to investigate claims of innocence. Some of the things that they uh, found in my case were a lot of police misconduct where evidence or information was um, hidden from the defense as well as some information that was manufactured. Exoneration is only the first of many hurdles facing people with newly minted freedom. One of the first challenges that I faced um, when I got out of prison is that I didn't exist. 
I didn't have a driver's license or any type of ID. I didn't have a birth certificate and I didn't have a social security card. And next to that, technology is, 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 is very difficult to navigate um, when you haven't had access. Since being released from prison, Cotton has been fighting on several fronts to secure compensation for his wrongful conviction. I am seeking uh, compensation for my wrongful conviction. I currently do have a state claim and a federal claim, and it's not a, a quick process or easy process. Pursuing compensation is also reopening wounds. With all of the trauma that I've been through and that other exonerees go through, securing compensation for my wrongful conviction it means a security that I haven't enjoyed for many, many years. To give you enough security to stand on and step on, that means everything to someone that has lost everything. These long drawn out court battles come at a high price, causing many exonerees to turn to legal representation, which can also come at a high price, pending a victorious outcome. Attorneys are typically given a third of anything that's awarded or settled and that's always on the back end. Marvin isn't getting funding via a litigation fund, but his plight sheds light on the precarious financial position that exonerees find themselves in. Even trying to put a price on what I've been through, it doesn't sit well with me. There's no amount of compensation that can you know, restore or to atone for what I've been through. But in, in this space, you need great representation. You need somebody that's really gonna protect and get you everything that you really deserve. Your attorney is really the, the person on the front line that knows all of the things that you don't know in order to get you that measure of justice. Despite acclimating to a changed society and battling the courts, Marvin has kept busy since his release. He's starting a nonprofit to offer support and resources to other exonerees. And I also started my own business, which is Better Not Broken LLC, where I do motivational speaking. And I just released a book, it's an Amazon bestseller called Better Not Broken. A few states already have usury laws, either on the legislative floor or in practice around the industry. I think that we're, we're, we're eventually moving to probably a federal regulation. You know, the same way that financial institutions are regulated now, there's, there's federal law that control what banks can and cannot do. I think that maybe the, uh, the end of all this is going to be for Congress to take the reins and, and probably incorporate what a lot of states have done and, and cover the states that haven't done anything or that have gone beyond or under. The Bipartisan Justice for All Act reauthorization bill was brought to the Senate floor in 2022. The bill hopes to expand conviction integrity units, divisions of a prosecutorial office that work to prevent, identify, and remedy false convictions. I hope we go away in that regard, because that, that would mean that we, we fix that brokenness in, in the system. Up until that happens, you know, if, if, if our system keeps throwing young, innocent, usually, you know, people of color into prison, without having done anything. You know, there's gonna be companies like us. I think it's important for members of the general public to really take interest in wrongful convictions and the whole process of what, uh, what goes on in the criminal justice system uh, when it comes to this because people don't usually care about this until it affects their house.